0: <clears throat> this is case 38 from the Shoyoroku. Linji's true person. Introduction. Taking a thief for one son, taking the servant for the master, can a broken wooden ladle be your ancestor's skull? And donkey saddle rim is not your father's jawbone either. When breaking earth, separating reeds. How do you discern the master? The main case. Linji said to the assembly, there's a true person of no rank always going out and in through the portals of your face. Beginners who have not yet witnessed it, look, look. Then the monk came forward and said, What is the true person of no rank? Linji got down from his seat, grabbed him, and said, Speak, speak. The monk hesitated. So Linji pushed him away and said, True person of no rank, what a piece of dry crap he is. The verse. Delusion and enlightenment are opposite. Suddenly communicated with simplicity. Spring opens the hundred flowers in one puff. Power pulls back nine bulls in one yank. It's hopeless. The mud and sand can't be cleared away. Clearly blocking off the eye of the sweet spring. If suddenly it burst forth, it would freely flow. Hongzhi also added, dangerous. <clears throat> so this koan, the famous koan, centered, off, centered around the saying of Master Linji, Rinzai in Japanese, was the founder of the Rinzai school. As most of you know, originally there were five houses of Zen, houses or schools of Zen, and three of them uh, disappeared or were dissolved into the other schools. And now we only have two operating schools of Zen, the Rinzai and Soto. And we happen to be in a Soto school, but we have a strong... Rinzai fiber in our DNA, thanks to Maizumi Roshi. So we are kind of like a mutt, not pure They say purebreds are more hearty, right? So maybe we are more hearty because we take a bit of this and a bit of that. And I feel very fortunate, I think we are very fortunate actually, to have both influences in our tradition, or characteristics from both schools. But either way, what's important to to note is that Zen is essentially no Zen, regardless of which tradition we follow. So there is a true person of no rank always going out and in through the portals of your face. It's a very bold saying. Do we understand the the gravity of this statement? Do we feel it? Our lives are predicated on hierarchies, incremental sense of progress milestones, achievements, ranks, degrees, which we tend to take as absolute indicators for the way we evaluate ourselves, each other. From early age, we're taught that the value of a person is directly connected to some quantifiable formula which we have to work with and strive to satisfy whether it's possessions, wealth, education, status, recognition. There seems to be a a consensus that accumulating more is better and it will eventually quench the deep hunger, thirst, yearning. It will satisfy and it will lead to a lasting sense of contentment. But does it work? As long as accumulation is the standard, when is it enough? Or more importantly, as long as being and having are seen as inseparable, am I ever enough? And we put tremendous pressure on ourselves and on our kids to strive for achievements that are recognized by others to be of value. And we're led to believe that the true value of a person is attached to these achievements. But everything we achieve, do, or think is subject to change and decay. And as long as we are blind to the ever present underlying sense of being, does it really matter how far we go and how much we achieve or what we have attached to our names? As Thomas Merton put it, what can be gained by sailing to the moon if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? Does it matter how far we go and what we do? If we are not living authentically, I think that by comparing, judging, and quantifying ourselves and each other, that abyss becomes as large as the distance between the Earth and the Moon. So we keep that formula, alive. We trust it. We believe it. And we feed it. The true person, the ever-present underlying sense of being, or the unborn, as Master Bankei referred to it, is not dependent on what we have, what we think, what we have accomplished or what we do. It does not increase through an experience of enlightenment. It does not decrease when we act in deluded ways. It doesn't care what we do. It cannot be broken and therefore cannot be fixed. The question is, can that be you? Maybe important to note that Zen is not a path of self improvement. We're not here to fix anything or tweak things about ourselves we may not like. In fact, we're here to abandon all such ideas. And if this is what we're looking for, we can head over to the nearest bookstore directly to the self-improvement or the self-help section. Look for books. There are many books that were written by the made-up self for the made-up self. The poverty mind and the subsequent desire to accumulate arise out of The error that we are broken or incomplete. That's the underlying assumption. And we need to be fixed or changed. It has to do with the belief that as is, there is something wrong with me. And as is, I am still insufficient. So I either think that I will have to or there are things to do in order to become sufficient or maybe I gave up and just live a life of an insufficient person. Either one of those are inauthentic. Somebody came to watch a class last week Aikido class. And he sat and he looked at everybody moving around and they look, everybody looks like they know what they're doing and he asked, and it's a common question, how long will it take me to feel comfortable with Aikido practice or so to be comfortable on the mat? And I said, it's not going to take you any time, it has to do with whether or not you are okay with being clumsy, because if you're okay with being clumsy, you're comfortable from the first moment you step on the mat. And that will help greatly with progress. But if you're not comfortable being clumsy, then a huge chunk of the energy is absorbed by that discomfort. And of course it slows down the progress. And the other thing is, if I'm not comfortable being, with being clumsy, I have an idea of moving in a certain way. And even if I train for two, three, five, ten years, there will be days, there will be moments that clumsiness will rule the day. And then what? And then I think that all that progress is gone. Then I get bogged down by that. if I'm okay with being exactly as I am, then it doesn't matter how far I go or what is attached to my name later on because I'm already comfortable now. I'm already at ease now. I'm already at peace now. So it's not done for any wrong reason. Progress definitely happens. But there is no one who is progressing. Can we live with that? Are we ever truly insufficient? I was talking a couple of weeks ago with... Uh, One of my Aikido teachers who is, I think he's just turned 80. And yeah, he's getting older and does not move as he used to move when he was younger. And he was talking about learning to adapt and adjust to the changes of the body. Things that he was able to do some years ago, he cannot do now. So he has to modify, he has to constantly modify and change. But he was talking about how those changes do not diminish the capacity. It's just that the capacity shows up or has to show up in a different way. And we have to be skillful in changing how the capacity is expressed or allowing the capacity to express in different ways, based on, our, based on reality. The body does change, we do, disintegrate. And, and in fact, he's not less powerful on demand, he's just doing it differently. You now, being complete doesn't mean that we always feel this way. It doesn't mean that we always act based on that. So it's not enough to just read about it or hear it. There is work. There is practice. The practice does not make anything. We just teach ourselves to get out of our own way. As Master Longyi said, Today is not your first arrival here. Since the ancient home before the empty kalpa, clearly nothing has been obscured. Although you are inherently spirited and splendid, still you must go ahead and enact it. You are. Spirited and splendid. You are fully complete. The question is, how do I enact it? And to go ahead and enact it it begins by raising doubts about what we have come to trust. About our sense of self or about who we are, who we think we are. Someone asked the Buddha, he said, hearing your teachings and understanding that I am perfect and complete, why do I still over poverty mind and act in ways that cause harm? I've been practicing for a while. Why do I still do this? Why do I still get trapped? And the Buddha said, because you still trust it to be true. Because you still trust it to be true. We always trust and obey something. We follow something. Are we aware of that? Or do we just do it because everybody else is doing it? And we think that because everybody else is doing it, it must be true. Or are we doing it because we are obeying our thoughts, our karma? And since our thoughts are constant or constantly there, they must be true. We can talk and read about the true person of no rank and maybe even have some conceptual understanding Of how or about how we create obstructions but we are deeply tethered to a belief that there is indeed someone or something that needs to be fixed we do deeply believe that there's something wrong we actually believe there's something wrong with getting old there's something wrong with someone dying is it wrong who believes that this is wrong and okay so i believe that this is wrong now what i believe that i am wrong now what Where do we go with it? If not just around and around in circles. What can we do with it? And it is a process to enact it. It is a process that takes, that happens over a long period of time. In a footnote to another koan about Linji, it says, This is a practice for long distance runners, not sprinters. When you are a sprinter, you see the destination right there. This is it. I'm running from here to there. So I'm going to give it all I've got. But what about long distance? What about not seeing the destination? What about not knowing anything about the destination? What about running itself? What about walking, sitting, laying down, eating? What about breath by breath doing what we're doing? We don't realize the degree to which we are vested in the belief that there is a self which is either acting upon the world or is being acted upon by the world. It is interlaced through our thoughts and emotions and it manifests in our words and actions. Sometimes overtly but mostly it shows up in very subtle ways throughout the day. And we're so used to it that we don't even aware it's happening. Actually, I think that if it's not operating in the background, we feel as if we are missing a limb. If we don't hear that voice, that often self-deprecating voice, or judgmental voice that accompanies us wherever we go. We feel empty, like something is missing. We trust and essentially are at the mercy of a thinking process that keeps corroborating its own creations. Instead of using thought, we become servants of thought. And this is what the introduction is pointing at. Taking a thief for one's son, taking the servant for the master, Believing. The thoughts. Can a broken wooden ladle be your ancestor's skull? Look at it. Is that you? Donkey saddle rim is not your father's your father's jawbone, either. This is not. You. When breaking earth, separating reeds, how do you discern the master? Every day, Master Zweigand used to call himself master and would answer, yes. Again, he would call, thoroughly awake, thoroughly awake. And he would answer, yes, yes. Do not be deceived by others any day, any time. No. No. So is it possible that we've been living a life of another? Is it possible that we're obeying something, someone? Or we're not true to who we are. Linji said once said to his followers, if your faith is insufficient, you will keep wandering in confusion. No matter what the circumstances, you will be controlled and led around by others, and those others are often our thoughts. You will not find freedom. Because you don't have enough confidence in yourselves, you search outwardly. Or oh, you search, period. You won't find it in. You won't find it out. But even Linji lacked faith when he began practicing. And he was led around by others before attaining realization. He said that Linji was an exemplary monk at the monastery, but during the first few years of his stay there, he didn't go to Dokusan with the abbot even once. So at some point, Muju, who was the head monk, asked Linji, how long have you been practicing here? And Linji said, three years. Muju said, have you gone for an interview with the master or not? Linji said, no, I haven't done so. I don't know what to ask. Muju said, why not ask, what is the essential meaning of Buddhism? It's a fair question. So Linji went to see Wang Po. But before he could finish his question, Wang Po struck him. Linji went out and Muzhu asked, So what happened? Linji said, Before I could get the words out, he hit me. I don't understand. Muzu said, Go ask again. So Linji, went to see Huang Po again. Huang Po again hit him before he finished the sentence. And then Linji asked the third time and got the same beating. So Linji revealed this to Mujiu saying, Before, you urged me to ask about the Dharma, but all I got is a beating. And then he said, Because of evil karmic hindrances, I am not able to comprehend the essential mystery. So today, I am going to leave here. And this is what he trusted. Must be something wrong with me that I am not getting it. Well, he wasn't, criticized. He wasn't criticizing his teacher. Although that's an option too. He saw a fault in himself. Or oh, he trusted something. That he could not get past so muzu said if you're going to leave you must say goodbye to the master linji bowed and went off muzu then went off to see Huangpo and said that monk who asked you the questions although he's still young he's extraordinary if he comes to say goodbye to you please give him an appropriate instruction later he'll become a great tree under which everyone on earth will find refreshing shade. And he has. The next day when Liji came to say goodbye to Wangpo, Wang Po, says, Po said, you don't need to go somewhere else. Just go over to Gao'an Monastery and practice with Dayu. He will explain it to you. Meaning, don't give up on your practice. Fine, you can leave the monastery, but go inquire about it over there. So gave him a little bit of encouragement. When Linji reached Dayu, Daiyu said, Where have you come from? And Linji said, from Huangpo. Dayu said, What did Huangpo say? And Linji said, three times I, I asked him about the essential doctrine, and three times I got hit. I don't know if I made some error or not. And Dayu said, Wang Po has a grandmotherly affection and endures all this difficulty for your sake. And here you are asking whether you've made some error or not. Upon hearing these words, Linji was greatly awakened. What did he do? What did Dayo do? made him realize give him a bit of a nudge a push made him see what he was trusting Linji then said actually one post is not so great Tayo grabbed him and said why you little bedwetter you must. You ca- you just came here and you said you don't understand. But now you said that there is not much to Wang Po's teaching. What do you see? Speak, speak. Linji then hit Dayu on his side three times. Daiyu let him go, saying, "Your teacher is Wang Po. I got nothing to do with you." Linji then left Dayu and returned to Wang Po. Wang Po saw him and said, This fellow who is coming and going, how can he ever stop? Linji said, Only through grandmotherly concern. Linji then bowed and stood in front of Wang Po. Wang Po said, Who has gone and returned? Linji said, Yesterday I received the Master's compassionate instruction. Today I went and practiced a dayuz. Wang Po said, what did Daiyu say? Linji then recounted his meeting with Daiyu. Huang Po said, that old fellow Daiyu talks too much. Next time I'll see him, I'll give him a painful swat. Linji said, why wait till later? Here's a swat right now. And then he hit Huang Po. Crazy dudes. <laughs> Huang Po yelled, this crazy fellow has gone. has come here and grabbed the tiger's whiskers. Linji shouted. Huangpo then yelled to his attendant, take this crazy man to the practice hall. What's so special about the Dharma? He realized it. He thought that there was something special until he realized, wait a minute. I've always been this way. I got nothing from the teacher. Of course it's not special. That's what makes it so special. You no know, practice has been equated to selling water by the river. There's no dispute about over the fact that everyone has it, but it has to be experienced before it can be enacted. That's where practice comes in. We have to really, really want to practice, no matter what. Because if we're not fired up by the practice, we are going to be fired up by our belief system. That is always following us in our heads. And that will rule the day, rule our lives. So we have to find a way to stoke the fire of the Dharma, of the practice. And I keep telling it, all of you, you know, when you feel like you're starting to lose momentum, reach out. We can have a conversation. Open a book. Listen to a teisho. Sit. Bow. Do things that ignite, that reignite the practice. Then you'll be just fine. But if you don't, if you don't show up, if you don't keep up with your discipline, something else will grab you. Someone else will grab you. Others will grab you. So Linji said, there is a true person of no rank, always going out and in through the portals of your face. And beginners who have not yet witnessed it, look, Look. Linji also said that the six rays never cease to emit the great light. Six rays. our senses. What is our relationship with our senses? How do we deal with what comes through? How do we use our senses? Or are we using our senses? How about instead of following the words, examine that by which the mouth can speak. Instead of following the sound, examine that by which the ear can hear. Instead of following sense, examine that by which the nose can smell. Instead of following the body, tactile sensations, examine that by which tactile sensations are made possible. And instead of following thoughts, look at that by which the mind can think. Look at how intact it stays, it remains, while we desecrate our lives because of the way we use our senses. Because we look for it in sights, in sounds, in sense, in sensations. Because we run after what we see, what we hear, what we think, what we touch. So Linji says there's a true person of no rank. And later on, Dogen criticized Linji for that. And he said, Linji only knows about the true person of no rank. He does not know about the true person of rank. And this con also appears in the True Dhamma collection. And in the commentary there, it says, The true person of no rank is the real form of truth as it appears throughout the universe. It is fluid and in constant state of becoming. The true person of rank is the real form of truth as it appears throughout the universe. It, too, is fluid and in constant state of becoming. Rank or no rank are non-dual. Therefore, each and everything up to and including each one of us exists thus. The essence of all phenomena is thusness. The real nature of body and mind is thusness. Therefore, it cannot be attained by any personal efforts. Realized or not, it has always been manifesting as our very life itself. Realized or not. So then a monk who was present came up and said, what is the true person of no rank? Linji got down from his seat, grabbed him and said, speak, speak, the man hesitated. And the, and the footnote says, he bogs down the true person. Hesitation bogs down the true person. Sinking in thoughts bogs down the true person. So Linji pushed him away and said, the true person of no rank, what a piece of dry crap he is. So, it sounds bad, but was Linji rebuking or degrading the monk? We have to watch out. How do we interpret, or do we at all interpret, what we hear? We think he may be mean, degrading, rebuking, criticizing, or was he simply being truthful by saying that the true person of no rank is not lacking? Ever. How do we... How do we see dry piece of crap? What are the connotations Something we throw away, something we run away from, something we don't want. Is the truth lacking there because we don't like it? Is the truth found only in what we like or what others approve of? You know, when we practice Zazen, this is the time to cultivate a deep sense of equanimity. And often students ask, finding it difficult to sustain equanimity or sustain uh, uh, expansiveness or becoming too agitated, students ask, Can I use that time to think about positive stuff? Or can I use that time to accentuate, to deepen positivity? And what I always say is that, great, this is a great idea, but not during Zazen. Of course, we want to have positive thinking. We want to go in that direction. But the point in, of Zazen is that if we are going towards the positive, we are rejecting what we define as negative. Where is the equanimity there? Isn't that what we're doing all the time? Or another question does it matter whether we go towards what's positive or what's negative? In terms of practicing equanimity, what's the difference? Of course, one may be more harmful than the other in terms of actions, but in terms of equanimity, all is included. There is nothing that is not true when practicing equanimity. So if we are going to use the Zazen period for something other than practicing equanimity then we are not going to experience freedom. So to sit with all of it the whole package as is and to learn to accept it as is to learn to see Spirited and splendid. At all times. I am life force and I am destruction. Barukana Buddha. The Buddha of all Buddhas. I am life force and I am destruction. I am sanity and insanity. I am rank and no rank. Zazen is aimed at the experience of body and mind dropping away. And the realization of the true person of no rank appearing as you. Sitting on the Buddha's seat. Wearing the Buddha's clothes. Eating the Buddha's food. terms of Zazen and Linji said bring to rest the thoughts of the ceaselessly seeking mind we all know how that feels like the ceaselessly seeking mind and you will not differ from the Buddha do you want to know the Buddha he is none other than you who sits here before me listening to my talk when you lack faith in yourself you run around seeking something outside even if through your seeking, you did find something. That something would be nothing more than fancy descriptions in written words. You would gain the mind of the you would not gain the mind of a living Buddha. Make no mistake, worthy Zen practitioners. If you don't find it here and now, you will never find it anywhere. And how many of us seek elsewhere? This book, or that book, or this teacher, or that teacher, or this sangha, or that sangha. Or this path versus that path. The bottom line is, if you don't find it here, you will never, ever find it anywhere else. If you won't find it now, you will never find it anywhere. We're searching everywhere and believe that there is something or someone better elsewhere. And we find it difficult to trust that we are the truth we are seeking for. And we keep raising questions and look for answers, not realizing that the questions themselves are binding us. The search itself creates the gap. The restlessness creates, essentially, more restlessness. The search divides, and the questions create separations. Lord, Yuduan once asked the Master Junju, what does rain come from? And Junju said, it comes from your question. It comes from your question. You raise the question, you create a gap. From another introduction to different Quran, it says Playing with reflection, struggling for the form, you don't recognize that the form is the source of the reflection. Raising your echo to stop an echo, you don't know that the voice is the root of the echo. If it's not riding an ox, looking for an ox, then it's using a wedge to remove a wedge. Or mounting a donkey to go look for a donkey. So do not wait. Advice. Very important advice that we have to heed. Do not wait. Do not seek elsewhere. All these masters expressed grandmotherly kindness, and all they wanted is for their students to awaken to the true person. They devoted their lives, shouting, beating, creating all kinds of koans, creating complications, raising wind when there's no, raising waves when there's no wind, just so we can awaken. To who we are. Just so we don't wait. For anything else. There's a cute story about Joshua. Who once when he was sitting. His attendant came and reported to him. The great king has come. And Joshua looked surprised and said. Myriad felicitations. Oh great king. The attendant came. No, no. He has not come yet. Master. And Joshua said. And you said he has come. You realize Joshua actually felt, thought that this guy got it. The king has come. No, well, not yet. Oh, damn. What a disappointment that you choose to wait. That the king, that you think that the king has not yet come. As Dogan said, it is never apart from one right where one is. Yet it takes so much effort to trust, so much determination to realize it. You no know, rank or no rank. The true person always flows in your veins always fills your lungs with every breath. We have to call off the search, trust it, share it with the world, and live authentically. Just live authentically today.